1: How often do you come up with an idea that you need to get people to buy into? A vision, a, a new idea for an I, for a, a sale or an acquisition or, or whatever it is that you're busy trying to do, and you're thinking, oh, man, how am I going to eliminate resistance? How am I going to gain buy-in? How am I going to achieve better results faster so we can actually make these things a reality? These are tough topics, but uh, my longtime friend Ron Carr has written a book that addresses all of these topics and I've invited him to share some of these things with us here today. So, Ron, welcome to the show. Thank you, Joel. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Hey, man, this, the, these, we're talking about some big problems. You know, when a when a senior executive comes up with some new ideas, you know, it, it just because the boss says so doesn't mean everybody lays down and says okay, right? Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> we wish it was not
0: true. Yeah, but yeah, you know,
1: when you're the boss, you kind of wish everybody would do that. But right. Uh, so, what are some of the great techniques that you've identified and, and written about in, in your great new book, uh, Velocity Mindset? How do you, how do you get people to buy in? What's the secret to buy in?
2: Well, the simple answer that we've all heard numerous times is that people do things for their own reasons, not for yours. So you have an idea and a vision. Understand that they're not going to go and support you on that vision of how you want it to be done. They're going to do it for their reasons. So if you really want them to buy off on it, you got to find out what's important to them, what motivates them, and then present your vision in context as to how they're going to help that person get to where they want to be also. All right. So wait At, a second. Okay, yeah.
1: wait, wait a second. So – I'm the boss and there's many, many different kinds of leadership styles, but probably, uh, you know, a large number of people are command and control. And it's like, what do you mean I get to get people to, uh, you know, agree that it's going to help them? Doesn't their paycheck help them enough? I mean, I'm paying them to do what I want them to do. Shouldn't they just buy in and say, OK, let's start uh, marching?
2: And that's the biggest misperception of all CEOs. There's two types of productivity. The first type of productivity is just do enough so you keep your job. That's what you're talking about. The second type of productivity is where people will go that 110%. They'll go and do the best job possible each and every second because they're really jazzed and motivated about it. When they get to that productivity, your organization is unstoppable. All right. So Most people, uh, go ahead. Who, are, who are some of the great leaders?
1: Just, just so we put them on the table. So we're all thinking about the same thing. Who are some of the great leaders that are fantastic at doing this? In corporations right now, I can think a couple of them, but I'm just curious for yourself.
2: Well, you know, leadership is evolving. Okay, what may have been a great leader in the 1980s, like I thought, Lee Iacocca, was a great leader because uh, he he had one trait that I really believe in. The CEO is the best salesperson for the organization. He took advantage of that, and you know, he was the uh, he was the uh, the headline, if you will, of Chrysler at that time, and 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 that's what made Chrysler. OK, we talk about Jack Welch being a great leader, you know, with um, GE. But, it, but Jack Welch may not be a great leader today. Uh, you know, look at real time today. Rudy Giuliani, OK, when he was mayor of New York, he cleaned up New York City. Yes. But I also studied him and realized that Rudy Giuliani was a command and control. Command and control does not work today. That's number one. But number two is Rudy was getting bored when New York was cleaned up. All he did was he kept fighting with everybody, including his ex-wife, in a divorce. So all of a sudden, his ratings went down, and then 9-11 happened four months before he left office, and it saved his career because he was able to do what he did best, which is to help people through an emergency and guide them through it. Now, he's not like that anymore, and people have a difference of opinion. So when you say, who's a great leader? I think what we also have to look at, who's a great leader for this current time? Yeah, that's
1: a... That's a pretty good uh, distinguishing uh, characteristic. So what about somebody like Steve Jobs? I mean that
2: he comes to mind for me. I mean does he meet your criteria? All right so in terms of innovation, in terms of getting people to come out with incredible products, yes, but how did he do that? I mean the famous story that he tells is that you know when he wanted to come up with the uh, iPhone, He had everybody take out the existing iPhone uh, phones, which is probably Blackberries at that time, and said, what don't you like about it? And he knew that his employees were no different than the customers. We're all human beings. And we could look at what we didn't like, and then they went out and set about solving all those problems and coming out with a new phone that was unique. That he was good at. What he was lousy at was his interpersonal relationships. That's why he left. And, And he was a true entrepreneur. So when you start a business as an entrepreneur, you are the business. But then as it comes to maturity level, you have to start having that leadership ability. He didn't have that. And that's why he was forced out. And then they brought him back because of his innovative uh, skill sets. Apple was losing his technological edge. And they put up with the fact that he could be a bully inside Apple. He was a bully, let's face it. You know, he was not the HR person's friend, okay, because of how he came across and how he acted. But that just goes to show you that we all have our strengths and weaknesses, okay? The fact of the matter is, is when you say, who is a good leader? I would say there's two parts to it. Number one, are you making your company relevant today and meeting the needs of your customers and thinking about the future? And number two, are you able to interact with your employees and all your stakeholders and doing it in a way that's gonna get their support of you? Now, in the book, what we talk about in terms of leadership, And we talk about in terms of salespeople, because I think salespeople are leaders too. They have to lead a prospect through a process that will help get them the right solution. right? So I say to salespeople or to supervisors or any other leader, if you accept the role of being a leader, then when you're going into a call of influence, the first thing you must do is you must create an environment that creates engagement with the other person. And most people don't even think about that. And therefore, they have the worst conversations. Let me give you an example we have in the book. I have a retainer client that I've been working with the CEO for the last seven years. I was in his office one day. One of his supervisors comes in and is really upset. They're a manufacturing company. I said, what's wrong? This guy is on his damn cell phone. He won't get off. What did you do? I told him to get off the damn cell phone. What did he say? He said, why should I? Everybody else is on a cell phone. I said, what did you do? He goes, I gave up and walked away. I said, how well did that serve you? <laughs> and so he goes, I probably would have walked away from myself too. And I said, what do you know about that guy? What do you know about the individual in his career? What does he want to be? He wants to be a master welder. Okay, what do you need for that? Quality and, on, and timeliness. How's this quality? Phenomenal. How's his timeliness? He's behind. He's 20 minutes behind. He's forcing all of us to be behind. So change the conversation. Just go there and say, hey, look, you know, you want to be a master welder? He goes, yeah. And he goes, you know, you need two things, quality and timeliness. Your quality is phenomenal. Keep going. That's why we love you. You're 20 minutes behind on this one project. How can we get you back on speed so that you're not eliminating or preventing yourself from becoming that master welder? All of a sudden, that individual starts coming up with the answers of what he could do differently. And the conversation was totally different. So that's what I want your audience to understand. People are going to do things for their own reasons, not yours. You have a really good vision, but if you can't get anybody to support you and and push you along to that journey, you'll never succeed. Because we all know that we can achieve more through the efforts of others than just through our own efforts. So how are you as a leader? Are you taking an interest in the people that are reporting to you? And are you aligning what you want them to do with how it's going to help them get to what they personally want to achieve in life? That's well, true. Leadership. Um,
1: it, it seems like uh, you know some people have marvelous interpersonal skills. Some people not so much. Uh, and and a lot of people who rise to the level of senior executive or even chief executive, uh, they don't always have uh, these uh, you know interpersonal skills, which are frequently innate. Some people just seem to have an innate sense about how to get people to move. Um, how do you know, I mean, does your book really go into some some uh, practical methodologies to get people to be sensitive or to, to change it? I mean, is that part of what you do in the book?
2: Well, yes, because we actually get into neuroscience and the hormones that, that interact in our brain and how you'll have to get them to move in a certain way in order to get engagement. So I could do a role play with you, Joel, and we can talk about, I can show it. They can hear it right now in your podcast if you'd like to do that. Go ahead. All right, so Joel, let's suppose that you're um, you're an investor and I'm looking to get you, I'm a financial advisor and I want to get you uh, on board as a new customer. Fair enough? Fair enough. All right. Hey, Joel, how are you doing today? Hey, Ron, I'm uh, doing good. Thanks for calling. Hey, my pleasure. So look, um, I know that you uh, have done really well for yourself in your career and you probably need the services of a great financial advisor to make sure you're not losing all that hard-earned money. And I'd like to talk to you about some of the uh, in, um, you know, investments that you have in the market today and how we can help you even do better. Okay. Go ahead. All right. Now, let's, let's stop for a second. There's a hormone called cortisol, the fight or flight hormone, right? We have it inside of us. You don't eliminate it. But if cortisol on a continuum of 1 to 10, 10 being the worst, it's you know, so stressed out, and one, you're very little engaged, but you're not really stressed out. So one to two is low levels of cortisol, not leading to engagement. You want four and five is real engagement. That's with they right with you. Six, they start doubting what you're saying. Seven, they're getting stressed out. They stop listening to you. And ten, they've checked out. You with me? Yep. Now, as a leader, I know one thing. My call to you is an interruption in your daytime. Is that a fair statement? Yep. So, where was your cortisol level the moment you took that call for me? As an interruption. Uh,
1: well, I'll tell you, I, I found I found your phraseology and so forth to be rather off-putting. It was it was you, you were coming into my life as a salesman. Okay, but wait a
2: minute. Before I even get to that part. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> when the phone rang, and I interrupted your day. Where was your cortisol? Uh, it was probably low. I mean, I'm kind of rolling
1: along, doing whatever I was doing, and you know, and then
2: yeah, people will say it's either one or two, or they'll even say it's a seven or eight because it interrupted my train of thought and I'm pissed. All right. Yeah. So if we understand that our role is to engage others and create a a good environment, right? Then me going into if you're ready at a very low level or a high level, and now I go into the phraseology and saying, Hey, I know you're making a lot of money. You have need a place. You need a good person you can trust. I'm the guy. Where are your positions right now? What's that doing to your cortisol?
1: Well, uh, I'm not sure what my cortisol did, but I'll tell you one thing. It uh, sure put me on the defensive.
2: Yeah, which means you're not listening to me. Yeah. Right? Your cortisol started spiking, and you started checking out. You were still here with me, but mentally you were starting to check out, right? I was certainly... I was certainly uh you know on my on my defensive that's all i can tell you i was okay uh, fine so if i as a leader know that if i have to predict ahead and i say okay number one i'm probably going to interrupt the guy's day or woman's day number two um if all i'm doing is talking about myself and about me and nothing about them i'm not doing what i should be doing as a leader which is to create an environment that they want to participate in so let's do the role play a different way okay yep So I call you up and say, Joel, how are you doing?
1: Great. All good. Thank you for calling.
2: My pleasure. Joel, I know you're really busy. So I just want to ask you a really important question. We can ask it now. Great. If not, I'll come back to you. Is this okay to ask you a question, please? Sure. Go ahead. All right. Look, I know you probably got a financial advisor. That's not what I'm here for. I want to talk about your future. The question I have for you is simple. When you look at your financial future, what would you say would be the three most important things you want to plan for?
1: Uh, well, uh, you know, I mean, listen, I, I do personally have my objectives. Uh, you know, this is probably something that requires uh, a discussion outside of my busy work day. Okay,
2: we can, fine. But right now, I just accomplished what I wanted because you didn't see it. When I do this live on stage or when we do Zoom, people can actually see it. So I'll explain what just happened because I saw you. When I asked you that question, what are the three things you want to plan for? You, your face turned away from the camera. Did you remember that? No. You went like this? Okay. And your eyes went up. There was a shift right then and there in your brain chemistry. Go back and tell us when that question was asked what what's going through your mind
1: well what i what i was thinking is that this is a very important discussion and it's not something that i could just have spur the moment in the middle of my busy day i really need to just kind of set aside some time and if i'm going to have that conversation i want to have it it needs to be a meaningful substantial discussion
2: good so in the first role play i did with you you were not engaged and there was nothing there for you is that a fair statement yes now, all of a sudden, you're thinking about inviting me in for a private meeting. Why would yeah. you do that?
1: Well, you know, you know what? Because uh, you know, you, you kind of had a consultative approach.
2: You were asking me, if, uh, listen, I'm, I'm with you. You did a good job. Right. And I didn't even say one thing. I didn't even give you one answer as to what I do. I didn't even tell you that I was a financial advisor. <laughs> all I did was... And I shifted it from a self-focus to a customer focus. And I stumbled upon this, job because one of my clients in the early 2000s, a very well-known financial services firm, they knew that it took their financial advisors five calls to get a new client on board. And they wanted to reduce it. We got it down to three calls. And, the, and they knew their market. Their market was the retired investors. you know, So they would come in once a quarter, look at their portfolio. They're not going to do day trading and all that. So I, they actually cold, cold in some rural areas, you know, in Chicago and St. Louis. And I went there. And in the first call, this guy that was successful, four to seven years in the field, oh, the first thing he did was for 12 minutes, he was spending time on the kids' pictures, the grandchildren, the bears, and, and trying to build that social relationship, right? And they weren't listening. Even though they were smiling, they were friendly Midwesterners. I can see the eyes rolling up. What are they doing here? And then when he finally got to what he was there, he started talking about stocks and bonds, something that they already had taken care of. So the, we got bounced out. So I asked him to come up with this question and just say, what are the three things that you know, are important to you? And cut the chit chat down to 30 seconds. Totally different conversation. This was working so well that when I was in the headquarters, they said, look, we got a class in here of, of, of mid-level uh, investment advisors. Can you do an hour for them? I did it for them at 5.30 in the evening, and we we're all staying that night in the same hotel. 11 o'clock, my phone rings, and it's from one of the guys in the, in the class, and he goes, I'm sorry to wake you up, but I did what you just said, and I called up two investors. They were both widows. They both had $100,000 to invest. Coincidentally, I'm working on them for both for six months, and I can't get them to the pull of the trigger. I said, what'd you do? So said, I called them up, and I said, I've been remiss. All I've been talking to is stocks and bonds. I never really asked you the most important question. Do you mind if I do that? And they go, what? He goes, look, this is not about stocks and bonds. It's about your financial future. All I need to know is what are the three things you want to provide? It was so powerful that one of them committed their funds that night, and the other one gave another appointment. (laughs) That's how powerful and that's how fast it works. If people know you're there for them and it's about them, they'll give you the time. It's the same as for a CEO to an employee it's the same for a salesperson to a customer. It's no different. It's also a parent to a child.
1: So this this, this applies to all kinds of interpersonal communications. I mean, in general, uh, you know, you need to be thinking about the other person, seeing the other side and-, uh, and It's then called work. empathy. One of
2: the traits that we look for when we do assessments for companies because they want us to evaluate, can it, can it be good or not? One top trait of any influencer is empathy. If you don't have empathy, then you're not going to ask questions about other people.
1: It's the bottom line. Yeah. So I, I, listen, I'm I'm with you. I, I think it's totally right. I, I think this is a uh, a really smart direction. The other thing is it's it's not off-putting. I mean, it, it doesn't. It, it you know, I mean, it's it's not a, it's not a magic solution, but at the same time, it, it certainly doesn't turn people off. I mean, it buys you a little bit of opportunity to uh, create some relationship as opposed to I'd have probably hung up on the first guy in in uh, 15
2: seconds. You know, when you say relationship, this is the thing that people have to learn today. And I think we're getting there now. But um, relationship in the 1980s, when I started my career, was about whining and dining and doing all this stuff, right? You can't do that anymore. Relationship today is based on relevancy and value you bring to someone's life. Not about the kids, grandchildren, and everything else. They already have enough friends to talk about that. So, when you're trying to influence somebody, and even today, by the way, you want to talk about CEOs and employees? I mean, we're facing that right now. You know, if, if a company is only um, not really caring about creating an environment that's going to get the most out of people, and they just want people to show up and do their job and get the paycheck, those are the people that are not even coming back right now because they're making the money from the government uh, assistance. If they felt that there was more in those companies, then they'd go back. You follow what I'm saying? Yeah. If it's, just, if it's just about $15 or $15 and there's nothing more for the employees, they're not going back. So how real is this right now for your CEOs? It's it's an emergency for a lot of them. Right. So, so it's not even about influencing people to get their vision going. It's about influencing people so that they want to come and work for them.
1: So, Ron, you know, a, a lot of uh, senior leaders who are people who are 50 or 60 years old, uh, you know, maybe late forties. We all grew up in a different time. The world was substantially different uh, 30 years ago when a lot of us entered the workforce and you know, whining and dining, talking about uh, personal issues. I mean, just a lot of those kinds of things have changed. And it, it's not that those are bad things. It's just that what, what's, what younger people want is something different than what we did uh, a long time ago. So how do, how do old dogs yeah. learn new tricks?
2: Well, yes and no to younger people. My daughter um, was working for a major company. And she got a new job, double the amount of money. But went through that major company before COVID and the advertising sales, they never got home before three in the morning every night because they're always out whining and dining. So it's not just the old people. It's just certain industries were brought up like that. And all of a sudden, COVID changed that instantaneously. And you can't do that. So you better figure out a way how you still develop that relationship because you still need the business. Now, the whining and dining for most people has gone away because people can't take bribes if you know what I'm saying. And 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 the issue of being um, real and 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 not being influenced is a big issue for everybody. But no matter when you were born, life changes. All right, that's just the way life is. You know, it's not always stagnant. And if you are getting older in life and you are not looking at how new people are thinking or what the nuances are in the industry today and thinking about that, then you'll never change and stay relevant. All right. We all have to do that. Now, you know, what makes somebody do that might be your question also. What makes somebody do that is what what they have been doing is no longer working. Then they got to do something different. They want to stay there. Well, if they still want to make the money that they make, making, is that making sense?
1: Oh, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, listen, the uh, companies need to reevaluate their own relevance every single day, especially right now. I mean, the world has changed uh, very dramatically in the last uh, 18 or 20 months. And, uh, you know, a lot of things that worked uh, a year and a half ago are not working anymore. And right. we all have to take a hard look.
2: So, so the way we know when you have to do that is if something worked all the time and all of a sudden it stopped working, how many more times are you going to try and make it work before you come to the realization? Maybe I need to look at this a little differently.
1: Yeah. Well, listen, Ron, uh, a, a book like yours is, is a good is a good start for a lot of our executive uh, audience members because it, it really uh, it will infuse them with some new ideas, give them some new ways of looking at a, an age-old problem, and hopefully
2: uh, you know, help to turn them around. But it's not just about influence. If I can decide one more thing that we cover in the book also, it's really important. When you look at velocity, it's about speed with direction, not just speed or you get burnout. What we've noticed is the thing that stops most people from or that creates drag on their velocity is not external forces. It's 99% internal. It's our fears. It's our belief systems that prevent us from trying new things or going after certain things. And if we can understand how to control our fears and 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 how to... Um, shoot big, if you will, even when we don't have the answers, that's when you're going to really make it as a leader. And those are some of the other nuances we cover in the book.
1: Well, I recommend it. It's uh I've gotten uh, partway through my copy, and I'm waiting to finish the rest. And I certainly am uh, I'm excited to finish up. So Ron, thanks for being on the show and for sharing your ideas. Uh, this is the inside track to uh, being the best leader you could be and, you know, using it, uh, using a different perspective to make
2: that happen. So thanks for sharing. Thank you, Joel. And I appreciate everything you're doing too.
1: You've been listening to profit from the inside with Joel block for more insights and to learn
0: more, visit joelblock.com.
1: about a shout out and a huge thanks to our podcast show producer david wolf and the team at autovita studios profit from the inside wouldn't be possible without these wonderful professionals to learn more or to find out how you can launch and produce your own podcast show reach out to www.autovita.com that's a-u-d-i-v-i-t-a.com
0: produced by autovita studios connect your voice to the world